Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. My friend, you are back in the United States. How was your uh, How was your trip? Oh, it was, uh, it was really nice. It was nice to get away. Um, it was like the first proper vacation that we've had in a long time. Uh, so just um, a whole week of, uh, you know, Caribbean excursions and uh, good food and lots of activities and, uh, you know, sitting in the sun and um, no, and, and most importantly, not doing any work. That's so. a beautiful thing. Did you, was this your first time in the Caribbean or had you been there before? Uh, I've been to Puerto Rico before, um, but uh, that was pretty much it. And that was back when I was a teenager, probably before I even owned Land of the Free, honestly. Oh, there you go. I, so. I, like, I like the segue. Um, nice. Um, well, welcome back. I, I have a feeling that you probably didn't have a chance to listen to very much this week. And I'll be honest with you, um, I just wanted to talk about a couple of things that really popped for me um, that – Stuff that one one album that came out and a and a single that came out that were both really really interesting to me. The first album that I wanted to talk about was a Greek band called Democracy, and the album or I should say the band name is so ridiculous. The album is called Unorthodox, but I have to say for doom metal, I thought it was really 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 well done. Um, they're from the island of Crete, and I actually have a friend that was from that island, although I don't think she listens to Democracy, I, I, if I had to bet. Um, but the the album was just really, really well done, Quality Doom, and a band that I think has released a couple of albums previously, but I, I had never heard of them before. So that's good stuff. I'll, I'll post something of theirs this week. And a single that came out that I had never heard of these guys, but our friends over at the MSR cast mentioned this band on their latest podcast, and I got to hear... Um, something by them. The song is called The Malevolent God. The band is called In the Woods. And they are a, I believe, a Norwegian band. And they kind of started as a black metal band. And then they went a little bit avant-garde proggy. This single has a little bit of everything. Their album Diversum, I think, comes out uh, next month. No, or actually at the end of this month, November 25th. This is really interesting stuff. And as I've mentioned a thousand times before on the podcast, my tastes have been changing a little bit. So while Land of the Free was a complete nostalgia trip for me, and I obviously thoroughly enjoyed going back and listening to it, I didn't want to listen to Power Metal this week when I was devoting so much time to Land of the Free. So finding a band like In the Woods was just a real... I don't know, a nice juxtaposition to, to what I was otherwise listening to back in the late nineties or whatever. Um, and then this week. So really, really interesting stuff. I'm definitely going to check out this album towards the end of the, uh, towards the end of the month. And, and who knows, maybe it'll even rank on the top 25, the top 50 list. If I give it enough time, I, I'm just kind of curious to see what, where it goes. My list is kind of taking shape at this point. I'm sure things will kind of come in and out in certain spots, but for the most part, a lot of it has been solidified with what six weeks left in the year. It's, it's crazy where the year has gone, but um, yeah, I, I'll play both of these and I think you'll enjoy hearing them for what they are. Cool. Yeah. I always, uh, always look forward to hearing something a little bit different and, and good Lord. I, like I definitely need to do some work on my uh, list. It, it's boy, six weeks. That just really crept up. And, uh, I just I feel like I don't have as good of a grasp on my favorite 
albums this year that I did last year. It just seemed a lot more uh, tangible, I guess, for lack of a better term. Last year, like I just uh, this year, I don't really feel like I have a a runaway number one. Um, I'm definitely gonna have to go back and re-listen to a, a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know that I have too much more that I'm excited about that isn't out yet, but I I could just be forgetting. So I feel like a lot came out in the last two months. And then even when you take a look back at the whole year, at least for my money, it was a lot of good stuff, but not a lot of 10 out of 10 like classic albums that are going to resonate for years to come. There are a handful, but you know, for the most part, it's deciphering a lot of good stuff not a lot of great stuff. And so it's very hard to come up with a list when there's not that many standout albums. But by the same token, as much as I'll say it was a weak year, it really wasn't. There were a lot of good releases. It just, there weren't a ton of great releases, if that makes sense. I thought yeah, there was a lot, it's like of, a lot of, a lot of eights, but not very many nines. And, and yes, tens. yes. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. A lot of stuff. I mean, I remember, least- la- I remember last year and maybe you can, uh, agree or disagree, but when I've heard the new Halloween album, it was pretty much like I knew at that point, like so that something would have to be absolutely out of this world to make this not my number one album of the year. And that album came out in the first half of the year, so like that one just kind of sat at the top of the list for the whole year. And um, I wasn't honestly super surprised that you had chosen that as your album of the year as well. No, it was. It was pretty clear to me, but by the same token, there were about a half dozen other albums that came out where I just knew, I'm like, this is top 10 material. I keep going back to it. I'm listening to it over and over again. And although some of those albums are albums that I don't think you would have touched with a 10-foot pole like Sleep Token, Spirit Box maybe, uh, I just love them. And, and even even like Temple Balls and Crown um, – those albums I just listened to over and over again, and I didn't have that love affair with much of the stuff this year. I mean, there's stuff that I listened to a lot, but for some reason, it just didn't grab me the way some of those albums did. But, but, and I'll say this, I think if you take a random album that may be 48th on a particular list on a given day, there's an argument to be made that the 48th best album this year was better than the 48th best album last year. It was just... A deeper, a deeper year, just not as top heavy. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It might be the uh, the post COVID slump. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the creative juices were coming out 2020, 2021, and now it's kind of like the hangover effect in many cases. Plus, a lot of bands are out there touring because it's time to make some money again. Um, we'll get to it at the end of the show. I mean, a lot of bands have been announced for 70k, and there's other tours that have um, been announced as well. And it makes sense, right? It's time to go back out and, and, and really make some money because the studio albums only draw so much. It just enables you to go out and do another touring cycle for many of these bands. Yeah, well, uh, I, 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 as you surmised, you were correct. I did not listen to anything on this trip um, until the flight home yesterday. I listened to uh, Land of the Free just to you know give myself one quick... Uh, refresh on an album I've heard many, many times and probably could have done this episode without listening to it at all. But, you know, I didn't want to do that. And it was, it was kind of cool listening to this like in midair. Um, oh, I'm but, sure. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I kind of stuck to podcasts while I was away, and uh, it, I don't think anything really came out anyway. The only thing that um, came across my um, email was that the um, the new Epica EP with all of the the guests um, dropped, and I you know I've heard the first two singles. Um, I've yet to hear the other five songs. I'm looking forward to particularly the track with Charlotte Wessels. Um, and I, I know there's another track with Tommy from Camelot and Seventh Wonder. So um, I'll definitely report back on our next episode on, on that. Um, but that was pretty much it. Uh, it was it was a good week um, to to just not be present in the in the world. So sometimes, like musically, I need a week like that, almost like a palate cleanser, where I don't listen to anything for a few days or even a week. Um, other than of course what we're covering, but then what I find myself doing is once I have that little cleanse, I, I go back and I'm like finding real enjoyment out of the stuff that I listened to that following week. It was almost like the time apart brings me closer to the music in many ways. Um, I mean, I listened to some really random stuff this week. I found myself listening to a lot of pink cream 69. I don't even know why, but I was, I went back down that rabbit hole and I listened to a couple of their albums. Um, uh, you know, a kind of a band that's been lost to time at this point. It was just random stuff that I was playing. And then in addition to, to that Democracy album, that really kind of hit me. Um, uh, but we'll see. It's, it's uh, six weeks left. Um, the list will, will, will come together and I'm sure we'll talk about it, you know, either at the end of the year or the beginning of next year, you know, once we've had a chance to compile these lists. But I, 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 I just get this sense that like, I don't know that I feel as strongly about the list as I did last year. Insofar as you could take album 23 and album 46 and switch them. And I'd probably be completely fine with it because in my mind, they're probably both 7.75s. If that makes sense, right. it's really it's just like, a a, it's like having a 20 way tie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I think depending on mood, if I'm in the mood for Prague, a certain album may rank a little higher. Or if I'm in the mood for something a little heavier, doomy, deathy, whatever the case may be, Albums will move based on my mood. So we'll see where the last two weeks of December take us. If I'm depending on my mood, that may dictate how the final list turns out, you know, just yeah. in terms of number. That's, that, that to me is the most difficult part is like taking an album that might be like an eight and a half that's a prog metal album, an album that might be an eight and a half that's a power metal album, and deciding like which one is for you the better option. It's, it's hard to do. Sometimes you just have to kind of flip a coin and just you know, let the gods decide, if you will. Yes, uh, I agree. And and no better time than uh, transitioning to uh, Gods of Deliverance uh, on this album. Land of the Free, a, 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 an album that is a, an absolute classic from 1995. It comes out May 29th of, of that year. We had talked about the follow-up album somewhere out in space back in the archives. Gosh, it's got to be over a year ago now, maybe a year and a half ago. I'm not, I'm not sure. But um, that album we got really you know did a deep dive into the band and everything else you had rated that album about a 9.375 i know you are a big big fan of that album i had rated it an 8.75 and i think it might be their most complete album if you will i don't know that there's a single song on there that i would want to replace this album was really the transitional album for the band though kai hansen steps back up to the plate and does full vocals on the album, whereas on the prior three, Ralph Sheepers, now of Primal Fear, had had been kind of you know behind the mic stand. On this album, though, 
for whatever reason, they, they kind of go full on power metal. They, they move away from kind of the more melodic style. And this is just a power metal classic, very much in the vein of some of that older Halloween stuff, in my opinion. Why did you choose this one and why, why now? Uh, well, I, part of it was that I wanted something easy while I was, uh, <laughs> while I was away. Um, cause I just knew I wasn't going to be able to, um, really get into something new that would really require my full attention. So the part of it was that selfish uh, choice. But um, the other reason was just because, all right, I think there's at least, I would say there's going to be three Gamma Ray albums that we really need to talk about. Um, and, and we've talked about one, this one would be the next one. And, and then uh, as I kind of alluded to last, last week, um, power plant, which was the follow up to somewhere out in space would be the third. And I consider that like the, to me, that's like the gamma ray, uh, like classic trilogy of albums, at least for me, I think time, it might be something that is based on time and nostalgia. Cause that was around the time, that I got into the band, but I also, I also think that like, um, objectively that it's their three best albums. Uh, and and maybe somebody else might disagree. Maybe somebody really liked those first three albums with Ralph Sheepers that kind of had a little bit more of a, I thought it had a little bit more of a primitive sound as far as the production goes. I thought that like the production really amped up on, on land of the free. Um, it, and like you said, it's also like a, a transitional album for the band um, with Kai uh, returning to vocals for the first time full time since Walls of Jericho with Halloween. And also this it kind of marks the last um, of like the Gamma Ray was, was kind of going through like a, a album by album lineup reshuffling. And after, and when we talk about somewhere out in space, you know, a year ago, that lineup was what would what go on to stick for a while. It was probably Gamma Ray's longest, uh, no, longest tenured lineup. So you know, at this point, uh, Kai Hansen and Dirk Schlachter are still in the band, um, but they would be the only ones left come the, somewhere out in space. Uh, Jan Rubach, the bass player, and Thomas Nock, the drummer would both um, end up leaving and getting replaced by uh, Henjo Richter um, on guitar, which would move Dirk to bass. Dirk was, was, was the guitarist on this album. He would switch over to bass, which you don't really see a ton of. It. And when you go over band histories, a band member going from guitar to bass or, or vice versa, which I thought was kind of an interesting uh, lineup change. And then Dan Zimmerman, would join the band as a uh, drummer. Mike's still looking for that autograph for his box set. <laughs> Shout out to Dan Zimmerman uh, and Snowdy. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, but I, all that aside, um, this was the first Gamma Ray album I ever heard. And I got to give um, props to, to Pat who um, was, who suggested very loudly to me as only Pat can, that this was something oh, Siri was interrupting, um, that this was something that I needed to hear. And it was funny because, um, you know, Ralph, who, who was kind of our, our direct conduit to, to mute, to metal at this point, um, he didn't like Gamma Ray. And I always thought that was interesting. And, and when I asked why he, he said that, 
um, he had the first Iron Savior album and he didn't think it was that good. And <laughs> that was his reasoning for not really diving into Gamma Ray. So like they were kind of a, a band that we discovered a bit later than Halloween and Stradivarius and Angra and some of those like really um, heavy hitter power metal bands from the nineties. And so, um, you know, on a whim, I, I bought this album and, um, and I just remember that you and Nick in particular, like flipped out. Like when you heard this, like I, I, I when I listen to um, rebellion in dreamland, I think of Nick immediately. I just remember how much he loved uh, this album in particular, but just really, um, glommed on to Gamma Ray and he would start telling us that he thought Gamma Ray was better than Halloween and I was like alright let's calm down um, <laughs> I mean, so slow down. I think, yeah. I, yeah I still think about the two of you a lot when I hear this album but I, I, um, I remember wanting to get the Alive 95 live album that came out shortly after this because there were Halloween covers on it I mean um, but this was like a real game changer I think um, I don't know, it was probably in 97 or 98 that I got it. And then I remember, and I'm sure I told the story, um, Pat got me a copy of uh, Somewhere Out in Space, which he gave to Ralph, who then gave it to me the first, uh, like before Homeroom uh, in school one day. And it was like killing me that this album was just sitting in my locker for the whole day and I couldn't listen to it. Um, it's hard to have patience when you're 16, 17 years old. But uh, yeah, so like for all those many reasons I, I thought that this was just one of those um you know you like to use the word seminal it's one of those seminal albums that i think just needs to be uh included in in, in any collection of, of discussion on, on any uh metal album i think we obviously will so at some point get to power plant which is the third of the triad if you will everything after that i literally don't listen to i have no there may be a song or two on each album that i kind of liked I've listened to them all. I just don't care for it. It's it's not me. It was like almost like all the creative juices just exploded on Power Plant and the prior albums, and that was it. I do think it would be interesting to do one or one of the Sheepers albums. Absolutely. I know when we spoke to Carl Cadden James offline, he was a huge fan of that stuff, and it was interesting to me because um, those first three albums, I think, are a little bit unbalanced they have some phenomenal tracks and then some other tracks which are maybe not as catchy in certain ways um but i do think that it is a very interesting time for the band and is definitely worthy of a discussion perhaps the hardest part would be choosing one of the three because i don't know that one of the three stand out but that is a, a discussion for, yeah i think for, for i think day. insanity and genius is typically considered the the strongest of the Sure. Of the three. Um, I mean, I I never really... I don't know that I know any of those three albums start to finish well, but thanks to that um, uh, Blast from the Past, I think, was the name of the album. Was that right? From 2000? Yeah. Gamma yeah. Ray did... Uh, they, re they actually re-recorded a, a bunch of their best songs. I, it might have been fan-voted. I don't remember for sure. Um, but... Um, I remember the first single that they released, or I don't know if it was a single, but it was just the first song that kind of appeared online was uh, Heaven Can Wait. And I remember being absolutely blown away by it. I was like, I have to buy this this set of, of, of songs, even though half of them are songs I already have. And, and uh, 
but I was just like, oh man, I got to hear some of these older songs done, you know, in a modernized way. And, and that song just the, blew my socks off. So, um, there are a lot of really good tunes from those, that era. Um, kind of going back to your comment about like post power plant. Um, yeah, like I remember when No World Order came out, like a lot of people, um, kind of called it like their Judas Priest tribute. Um, in that it was, um, a little less, uh, like straight up Halloween style power metal and, and a little bit more kind of traditional heavy metal. And there's some songs on there that I really, really like a lot, but then there's some other songs that I just thought were just okay. And I kind of feel like they, that's kind of the pattern that Gamma Ray continued on after that. Um, I, I, I remember liking land of the free part two a, a bit, but it just didn't, it was again around that time where everyone was sequeling. It was like you know the keeper of the seven keys, the legacy, and and like uh, Royal Hunt made Paradox too, and it's like, eh, we didn't really need you to do that. Um, you know, like leave it, leave the past in the past. Like the entertainment industry is so guilty of that now of just constantly remaking everything uh, or rebooting or or you know, and sometimes it works. See Cobra Kai. And other times, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. And uh, I I would venture to say that more times than not, um, it it, do, it doesn't, it's not a home run. Um, and it was not in, in these cases. And, and Land of the Free Part 2 has a song on it called Rain that I think is absolutely fantastic. But if you put a gun to my head, I'm not sure I can remember the name of any other songs that right. were on that album. Right. I remember enjoying it just fine, but these three albums to me were just like the epitome of, and again, it could just be a nostalgia thing because I also think of like Holy land and angels cry and fireworks as a trilogy of albums around that same time. And master of the rings and time of the oath and better than raw, another trilogy from that time, uh, fourth dimension episode and visions or, or episode visions and destiny, um, depending on, how you feel like there's, I feel like all these power metal bands had this great, the nineties trilogy of, of albums and, and Gamma Ray was uh, no exception. I I'm so happy you mentioned that because one of the questions I was going to ask, and I'll, I'll just put it out there now as kind of food for thought. When you think of this album, right. And, and, and this time period for the band, I would be curious to put this album and this period up against that angry trilogy uh, Labyrinth's Return to Heaven Denied, Blind Guardians, Nightfall on Middle Earth, all of this stuff was coming out within two or three years of each other. And that's why I'll, I'll say it's, it, again, for my money, the unquestionable heyday of power metal. And since yeah, then, the it's golden, been slow, The golden era. The golden era. And again, I know we're showing our age, but listen to these albums and then listen to virtually any power metal album that's come out since then. I mean, I, I, think, I think the record speaks for itself, but when you look at those albums, quintessential power metal albums that were coming around out around this time it's hard to pick a favorite because they were all so special but you know i, I and maybe it's a matter of mood but uh, you know I, I think we had rated angels cry damn near close to a 10 that might be the pinnacle but this is not far off agreed agreed uh, and even like the newer bands in the late 90s like a sonata artica with ecliptica um, and again, like we cover a lot of the albums we just mentioned or have been covered. And the only reason some of them haven't been is just because, you know, we, we 
try to not to repeat bands too much, but I mean, we are getting to a point where we're going to kind of have to, um, just because there's a lot of essential listening and, and we just named a lot of essential albums that we have not talked about yet. Um, I mean, we've only done one anger album and then we're kind of getting that point now where we're starting to kind of, at least in the back of my mind, it's kind of time to kind of go back to bands that we've talked about before, just because again, like I think you had said last week, like how have we gone, you know, over 125 episodes and not talked about land of the free, like this, just uh, this unbelievable landmark in power metal uh, in the nineties during this golden era, which I mean, to be like one of the most, respected and, and remembered albums during a time period where a lot of classic albums are coming out. I mean, that says a lot, a lot about it, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, no argument for me. And, you know, I, I had mentioned how this kind of was a transitional album. Heading for Tomorrow has a very, very long and epic title track on that album, Heading for Tomorrow. But this album kicks off in a way that, quite frankly, maybe, maybe, maybe the best opening power metal song of all time. And I would argue easily one of, if not the best power metal song of all time in Rebellion in Dreamland. And I'll say this about it. I remember getting a VHS tape off of eBay 25 years ago where I just kind of wanted to watch some music videos because this was pre YouTube and all of a sudden gamma and I was familiar with gamma ray. I was a huge fan of this album, but there was a video of rebellion in dreamland on this VHS cassette. And the problem with it is a very, very cheesy. But aside from that, they cut up this epic, epic song and shaved about four minutes off of it. And I hated this edited version of the video, even though I still have the VHS cassette, because it just took all the wonderful things about this opening track and just completely decimated it, in my opinion. But I'll 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 flip I'll I'll flip the script a little bit. I remember being in New York City at the Gramercy Theater back in January of 2011, which was the last time I saw this band live. It's just crazy. It's been over a decade. And they played Rebellion in Dreamland in its entirety, as they often do at at their shows. And I just remember saying to myself, I don't know for my money if there's a better power metal track than this one as they were playing it. It is just the quintessential epic power metal tune I love it. And I'm not going to go note for note. I'm just going to say that there's not an element here that I didn't enjoy about this song. And even going back to it now this week, it holds up. And Kai Hansen's improvement in the vocal department is on full display. This is not your Walls of Jericho, Kai Hansen. This is Kai Hansen as a real frontman of a band. I don't know what else I can say. This, this is, this is, this is Gamma Ray, this song right here. What a difference 10 years makes, right? It's unbelievable. <laughs> we, we, we talked about Walls of Jericho. It was our, very, uh, our second ever episode, um, which was a, a, your your first pick, um, which was, I thought, such an interesting choice for a Halloween album just because um, it was where it all began. And the one album that Kai was, was a vocalist on for 10 years, I believe he did sing at least one full song on, on one of the 
three Ralph Sheepers Gamma Ray albums, but um, and he has very prominent backing vocals. If you ever listen to the the live stuff during the first three album era, um, you know Kai's voice is just it it permeates. Um, but this, I can't imagine what like the the fans were thinking at the time, where you know, I guess kind of around the same time you have like Timo Cotipelto taking over as the singer for Stradivarius and Andy Darris becoming singer for Halloween. And now these, these bands that have a, a strong following are, are changing their, you know, the whole front tone of, of the album. Like the whole, the first thing you hear is, is this voice. Um, and uh, I know there are people that don't like Kai Hansen's voice. I think particularly of um, our mutual friend Zod, who, wrote on a message board once, um, I would rather listen to cats getting tortured or something to that effect than to listen to Kai Hansen sing. Um, <laughs> something to Strong that. words. Strong yeah, words. Something about, something about screeching cats. Um, so needless to say, his voice isn't for any everyone, but um, <clears throat> I liked it immediately uh, when I heard this. And I, I it was kind of funny too because like, parallel to Halloween, you kind of went from like the, a, a smoother, more polished singer to like a raspier kind of, uh, more, um, maybe guttural is probably not the right word, but just a, a little more earthy, uh, a little more raspy, a little more gritty, gritty probably is the, the right word there. Um, and it really worked for both bands. And I think it really revitalized, um, both bands as well. Um, instead of, I always look at Van Halen as the the perfect example of not trying to find somebody that that's a copycat of the old singer and try to move on in a different direction, keep the same tenets and um, you know vibe of the band, but have a different voice um, so that you're not saying you know oh he's just a a copycat or, or a, a, a facsimile of David Lee Roth, you know, kind of what I think we've mentioned in passing, uh, you know, journey, how they're, their current vocalist, um, <clears throat> is a Steve, uh, Steve Perry, you know, copy. Um, right. and you know, and I think for a band like journey that works, that's fine. Um, to me, it's like more interesting. I'd be more interested to hear what, um, Jeff Scott Soto sounded like when he sang for journey, just a totally different vibe. Um, so I think that that's kind of what, um, Gamma Ray was going for here. Um, uh, Ralph Sheeper's excellent vocalist. And I think he really found his, uh, his way with, with Primal Fear, which is a band that, that appears to have outlived Gamma Ray because Gamma Ray seems to be, uh, if it's, if the band is, is over, um, if the band's not over, I should say, then they're definitely on a, a pretty long hiatus because Kai, um, is back with uh, Halloween. And it seemed as if even before that, he was kind of taking a step back from being the lead vocalist because they had brought on another, um, <coughs> excuse me, another vocalist to kind of um, help out, uh, which was really interesting. And I, I don't know that I love that um, because to uh, me, like I remember being at your place and watching that anniversary show with him right. singing and like, I don't know. It just, didn't feel right. I wasn't totally enthralled by the performance. I don't know something about it. And again, they they had been on a bit of a decline for many years at this point. So when they were playing a lot of the newer material, I just 
didn't care. Um, but this 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 incarnation of the band and and what would follow was obviously really what would draw me to them. Would you, would you put this song up there with any power metal song, or is it is it one of your favorites, or is it or is it just do you think it's slightly overrated? No, I think it's rated just as as it should be. Um, it's it was never my favorite song in the album, only because I tend to gravitate towards the the more faster aggressive songs, which the very next song will discuss. But um, as far as like a song that you know has that. Um, that kind of just mid-tempo kind of march to it. I mean, I don't know that there's anything better than this as far as that style. Um, it, it's it's eight it's eight plus minutes long. It's it just builds and builds and builds. It's so epic. And that um, bridge, that bridge is maybe my favorite power metal bridge of all time. How it just speeds up for a second and goes into this ridiculous guitar solo. I love it, and then it calms back down but in an epic type of way quite frankly i'm not choosing it as my song of the week but if you've never heard it stop listening to this episode and go listen to rebellion in dreamland because it's that good yeah and again like <clears throat> talking about our friend nick like i just remember how much he absolutely adored this song and i'm sure he still does and and when he listens to this episode in, in a couple of months i'm sure <laughs> um you know he'll appreciate the shout out, and I'm sure he'll be um, happy to to revisit this album. To, to be fair, he's been very very busy working on the Usual Illusion Guns and Roses reissue. So I'll just dangle that out there. We have not discussed Guns and Roses. We should probably have him on to discuss what he did with this new reissue because it's absolutely fascinating to me. Um, but shout out to Nick. I'm sure you'll enjoy the episode probably 2023 or beyond. But we, we we appreciate it and and we think we might we might be seeing him before he actually even hears this. So there's no <laughs> doubt in my mind about that. Um, but if you're gonna follow up an epic, epic opening track, there was only one way to do it, and that was with like a blistering fast power metal tune. Which I'm gonna give you the floor because I have a feeling. Um, I, I, well, I don't have a feeling. I know you love this song, Man on a Mission. Yeah. So this was like. When I first heard this album, this is a song that just punched me in the face with a, a, a handful of bricks. Um, just, uh, I remember thinking to myself, like, damn, like, this is what, this is why Pat wanted me to listen to this. Like, this is, this, this is just what it's all about. This is what fast, um, fast paced, just, um, ass kicking power metal is all about. It's Kai Hansen just at his, very best as a songwriter as a guitarist as a vocalist um it, it's it's just so it's so addicting you just hear it and you just want to hear it again and again and again and and when i first heard this album this was um without a doubt my my favorite song um not going to be my song of the week though um but um i i will probably choose it to as the uh, intro to the episode um as an excuse to just to hear a, a, another 30 seconds of it. But I mean, it, this is just a, an unbelievable tune. And, and um, that just, I think it, it's going to go down as like, to me, one of the iconic power metal anthems, um, just, just an unbelievable song and, and one of my favorites. And, and I never, ever, um, I never, ever get tired of hearing it. And, and I always counted like the, the little, 
50 second fairy tale part as kind of like a little like um like an outro because it sounds like stylistically like it should be part of man on a mission so yep. like i i always consider it like one combined song like it's weird to me to hear yeah, one without the other it's it's a postscript no no question about it and i'll just say this about man on a mission to me th- there's this is kai's songwriting on full display and which makes him a genius this is this is the gamma ray sound from this era and for the next four or five years going forward i love how they have this epic chorus and how the music drops out but kai kind of keeps singing even though the music drops out and then the band kicks back in it's just so well done um that song is one of a handful of 10 out of 10s on this album. Obviously, Rebellion, Man on a Mission, and then, again, Fairy Tale, this really epic, fast, heavy postscript song. Maybe one of the best interludes you'll ever hear on an album, on an album where there's actually multiple songs that are like this, which kind of bridge the gap between tracks. Um, I actually found the placement of Fairy Tale to be brilliant because it you need something to kind of transition into all of the damned which is a very very different kind of song um and and that fairy tale segue really does that all of the damned is is very different it's it's got a really cool bass intro which is something you don't really hear much on this album and it's very slow almost doom like in, in a way the chorus kind of picks up after these very simple verses, but the bass is really what shines on this entire track for me. And it's a song that's kind of grown on me over time. I don't put it in the league of those first two tracks. This is more of like a second tier song, but there's a lot packed into this five minutes. And I think that it's, it's for those that are not familiar with the band, there's a lot going on here for a, for a, for a power metal band. So when I, when I first, uh, you know, heard this album and really listened to it a lot. I always kind of felt like the middle of the album was a little bit underwhelming because the beginning and the end were so strong. Sure. And and my favorite songs were always at the beginning and the end. Um, And so I was curious how I was going to feel about these middle songs, you know, um, all the damn gods of deliverance, farewell, salvation's calling those, especially those middle tracks before you kick into like land of the free and abyss of the void. Um, this was probably my favorite of those, um, those middle tracks. I love how, like you said, it it kind of comes in with this kind of like slow or mid paced bass solo. And then 30 seconds in, like the the electric guitars kick in and then you're off to the races. And, and, um, it's a very different song stylistically. Although, I mean, the first two songs sound nothing alike and they're like absolute classics. And then this is another song. And again, these are all penned by Kai up until this point. Um, it won't be until Gods of Deliverance that we'll have a song that wasn't written by Kai on this album. But, um, you know, I, I thought this was a, a nice song. Like you said, it, it's a tier below those first two, which are like God tier. Um, so it's right. not like, you know, this song is no slouch, but, um, this is a really good song. And I think that I've enjoyed it more as time's gone by just because it's it probably didn't suffer from overplayment. You know, I completely agree with you. It's gotten better with time. And this is, if you would have asked me 25 years ago, I would have said it's one of the weaker tracks on the album. I, now I would put it in the 
upper middle tier, if that makes sense, uh, on the album. And then they go right into Rising of the Dan, which is their second interlude in five tracks, which is kind of amazing the way they're, they're structuring this. Um, very, very heavy orchestration. I don't know that it was necessary. I don't know that they didn't just need to go right into Gods of Deliverance here, but they did and they decided to kind of stick it in there. But it's interesting the way this album flows. And then Gods of Deliverance, instead of starting off with the bass solo, you start off with this drum solo, kind of a standard riff. But what's always kind of jumped out to me is that Gods of Deliverance sounds to me like it actually belongs on Somewhere Out in Space. I think that it's a song that really doesn't grab me as much as some of the others on this album. But I wonder if it was like the last song that was recorded. And that they went into the studio, they put it in the album, and that like they started churning out the ideas for Somewhere Out in Space shortly thereafter. Because again, it belongs, in my opinion, on that album. What I will say about it, though, is that the highlight for me, the second half of this song is so different from the first. And it really takes off in terms of the speed and the way that it kind of mixes the whole song off. It's really like two songs in one in, in that respect. Um, it picks up and it, it, it's good. I don't know that it's my favorite for sure. Um, but you can see a transition in the sound here. Yeah. I, I always thought the bridge was better than the chorus. I thought the chorus was kind of pedestrian sure. on this track. Um, it's so interesting. I'm so glad you you mentioned the, the drums opening because it's amazing to me that it's a different drummer because the beginning of, of Somewhere Out in Space with um, – uh, I'm blanking on the any was it anywhere in the galaxy? No, that's power plant. I'm blanking on the first track, but um, it opens with that uh with like the drum like that. Yes. It sounds like it's the same drum. Maybe it's the same drum kit. I don't know, but <laughs> it, it sounds so similar to what um, Dan Zimmerman would do on on the next album. So yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And it's funny the song was written by Jan Rubach, and this was his last appearance on the album. Um, he, you know, as I mentioned before, he was the bass player. Um, I put this a, a shade underneath all of the damned. I think it's a, another really solid song, if not unspectacular. Um, but you know, good. It, it fits the, 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 the mood of the album and it kind of keeps that flow going of like all these great power metal songs, but none, none of which sound alike. It, it's, it's very varied up to and it, and it would continue with the next track farewell, which is the first ballad on the album. Um, let's hear your thoughts on that because this is a very different track, just the same as the others. Yeah, this is again um, another song that was not written by Kai. This was a uh, Dirk um, wrote this one, and it's kind of um, it's ballady, and then it's not, uh, you know, because uh, for whatever reason. And I, I, when I first heard this song, I thought that the whole like interlude with Hansi was so out of left field. And I didn't know Blind Guardian at the time. So I'm like, who the hell is this mar- marble-mouthed guy who just comes in and starts, you know, like singing on this song? Because the song's a really, really nice ballad. And then it just kind of, like, goes to this part where it, it just, like, it, it, like, the song just gets derailed because... And then this is not nothing about, against about. This is nothing to do with Hanzi at all. The style of the music of the part where Hanzi starts singing is like a complete departure from the rest of the song. It's so odd. Um, but overall, the ballad part that makes up eighty five percent of the song is an excellent, excellent 
ballad. And I have, I'm going to m- talk more about Gamma Ray's softer side a bit later on. Um, but you know, this is kind of a, an example of, um, the band having, you know, the ability to write a good, a really good softer, uh, softer tune. But then like, it's just so weird. It goes into like this, like, like Lord of the Rings kind of like, like jig kind of <laughs> with and my and notes. He just There's, comes in out of nowhere. Like, you know, it's notes. like they happen to be in the studio that day at the same time. And they're like, Hey, Hansi, you want to be on a song? Like, it's just, it's weird. There's an interest. There's an instrumental section of this song, which almost sounds like a waltz. And like, right. I, it's, 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 it's all over the place. It's I like, felt like um, I was in a, in the library in symphony of the night. Yeah. 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 Which great song by the way, but like, it's, 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 it's kind of, they're throwing a lot against the wall here, but for some reason I have grown to like it. I don't know why. And maybe it's because I am a blind guardian fan, but I compare this hodgepodge of stuff to the next song. And it's so much better. Salvation's calling to me really, really heavy riff kicks this thing off. This song has never been my favorite. I think it's probably because I don't enjoy the chorus that much. The verses are fine, but like worst song on the album, it's buried in the middle and it's what keeps this from being close to a 10. I mean, it's, it's going to be close to a 10, but it's not a 10 because Salvation's Calling kind of sucks and I'm just not into it. You want to hear something funny? Um, it's your song of the week. Uh, no, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't even on my phone when I was listening to this on the plane. It went from uh, it went from farewell to land of the free, and it was it was jarring to me, and I couldn't figure out why. And now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, shit! Like this song was so the way that my the phone is set up is that um I my the songs that go onto my phone are based on how how many times I've played them, and because that I just can't fit my entire library of songs onto my phone. So I have to curate it somehow. And the easiest way to do that is to just say, if this song has been played in my iTunes more than three or four, whatever it is times, it goes onto the phone. This was the one song on the entire album that just wasn't on my phone. And I didn't even notice it was missing. I mean, how sad it sucks. It's terrible. (laughs) It's not a good song. It's like, it's fine. I don't think it sucks, but I agree. It's the the worst song on the album. We, I, I was comparing this album to other albums that were coming out at the same time. The reason Angels Cry is a better album, despite Rebellion in Dreamland, is because Salvation's Calling just brings it down a little bit. And there is no weak link on Return to Heaven Denied or Angels Cry or Holy Land. This, not, not for my money, you could have had a better album if you just didn't have this track on there. Because, well, I mean, for comparison's sake, I gave Angels Cry a 10 because there are no. We, like weak spots on that entire no. album. The every song is great. This album, it's not, it's not the same. Like, like every song is at least, if you don't count this song, every song is at least very good. Um, and the classics will pull that score up. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say it too. Like this won't, this isn't going to be a 10 for me. Um, but, um, yeah, um, I, I again like just forgot about the song. Um, it's fine. It's it's an average song. This was written by Jan Rubach as well. He had uh, three songwriting credits, and it turns out that those three songs are three of my least favorite songs on the album. So you know, 
say maybe that has something to do with my increased um, interest in the band going forward because um, the songs would well, obviously he wouldn't have any songwriting credits because he wasn't in the band anymore. Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I also think that this is kind of well placed because it kind of gives you a little break. You just saw that like haphazard ballad um, that was, um, which by the way, like it goes right back to being a ballad again with like a ninety seconds left to go after the whole jig meets waltz, um, you know, uh, bard song, um, and then it almost is like perfect because it it kind of like lowers your guard a little bit before land of the free just comes in and just smashes you. Like it's, I I think it it makes for a good, I I think it was well-placed. If there, if there was a a positive comment to be made, it was well-placed. Well, it was well-placed and it makes land. Not as well-placed as being left off completely, but (laughs) well-placed nevertheless. I, I agree. Land of the free is another, Absolutely perfect song and another testament to Kai's songwriting. The verses are a bit spooky in a way, but the chorus is just absolutely lights out. It is a perfect live song. And you hear Michael Kisk and Hansi Kirsch doing backing vocals, which, I mean, why they're not front and center is another question. But long long story short, you can clearly hear Michael Kisk in these background vocals. And it was really his first metal appearance since keeper you know yeah all right kids of the century maybe certainly not chameleon but like he was doing metal again and it was great to hear and obviously we'll get to another appearance by him shortly um but this is an a plus tune it's it's just an absolute classic and i i I think you'd be hard pressed to to not enjoy this one yeah um i believe this album came out before kiss first solo album instant clarity um I'm just, this is off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that album came out the following year. Um, so yeah, this was kind of like the first time hearing, and, and it kind of makes you wonder. I, I know there was like all those rumors that you know Kiss would could be the next singer for Iron Maiden, which would have been so weird. But yet, I think it it would have worked somehow. I just, um, but I always wondered why the hell Kiss, and I mean, I guess it's not that unusual considering kiss distaste for metal at this time but jesus if he became the singer for gamma ray at this time i mean i don't know it would have been a totally different kind of band and maybe it would have been too much like the keeper era of halloween and maybe gamma ray needed to have kai to kind of set it apart um but i remember thinking at the time like uh, and especially when we get to time to break free like holy shit like what would this band have been like if if kiss was the the singer I think that's a fair question, and we'll we'll get to it momentarily. The Savior is another interlude song, and it's kind of a, serves as an intro to Abyss of the Void. Is for my money, Rebellion, Man on a Mission, Land of the Free. Those are the three A plus ten classic tracks on the album. But Abyss of the Void is the fourth gem. It's the forgotten gem on this album. Um, and to be honest with you, it's a live favorite. They played it back in 2011 when we saw them. Um, this is the forgotten track that nobody talks about, but they should be talking about. And I'll make it my song of the week as a result. Let's give it a listen. Yeah. 
I just love how this song starts off so slow and begins to pick up. It's heavy. It's catchy. It's probably the darkest song on the album. I love how the keyboards just pop in certain spots, which I thought was a really nice touch. And it's just a really tight number that has grown on me more than any other. There were hands, there were tracks on here that I've loved forever, but this one is the one that has grown on me more than, more than any other. Um, I, you know, I made it a kind of a habit when, um, I first got iTunes on my computer and, and I was starting to rip my CD collection to, into digital, you know, um, iTunes had this really great feature that you could join tracks into one if you wanted to take uh, for instance um i joined the entire pleasant shade of gray album as one full track because i just as we discussed i never wanted to hear just a part of it i wanted to hear the whole thing which ultimately led me to never listen to it at all (laughs) but um you know i always thought specifically of songs um like uh the like warrior of ice by rhapsody from their first album how I couldn't listen to it without that minute and a half intro to lead into it because it just wasn't the song. And so when I ripped this album, um, I had to attach fairy tale to the end of man on a mission. I had to attach rising of the damned to the end of all of the damned. And, um, the savior has to be at the beginning of abyss of the void for me because the song when if you just listen to Abyss of the Void, it sounds like you missed something. Like it's starting, and it's like, did this start already? And it's like, well, it kind of did. But also, the Savior is kind of the also the end of Land of the Free. It, it kind of acts as like a more of a segue than an intro. But to me, like it, it's it's essentially part of this song, and um, it's also my song of the week. So um, um, it, it's just um, to me. I agree with you. I feel like the three songs you mentioned were always like the, the three staples of the live set from this album. And this was kind of that little, that the classic outside looking in the fourth, you know, redhead stepchild where it's better than every song on the album. Um, every other song on the album, but like it didn't always get played. And you mentioned that, that January 2011 show, which I got to think that it only happened because they did 70,000 tons that year and they just were back in the States and it just made sense for them to do a handful of shows. And I'm so grateful because they haven't done a U.S. tour since then and we haven't seen them live since then. Um, And I remember that they played this and it made me so happy. It was the highlight of that set for me was to hear this song because I always just thought it was... um, it was always one of my favorite songs. It still is. And listening to it on the plane, I just had goosebumps. I was reading the lyrics and like the lyrics are so just ass kicking. It's just the, like whether you want to uh, like attach religious connotations to it or even just like in a fantasy world and, and slay the, the evil, whatever. Um, it's just so epic and and i would argue that it probably should have been the last track on the album i think that um afterlife while it was a um it was dedicated to ingo schrichtenberg who had passed away um pretty shortly before this album was released um 
it's kind of, I, I think it's a little bit of an underwhelming way to end the album when you have this track that could have been, you could have had that perfect beginning in Rebellion in Dreamland and a perfect end with Abyss of the Void. Um, but then almost if you t- actually, in all honesty, I would have taken Land of the Free, The Savior and Abyss of the Void and just pushed all those three tracks right to the end. Um, I think I think there's an argument to be made there. After I'll, just skipping around a bit because you mentioned Afterlife, it's it's a dark closing tune. Has a bit of a blind guardian feel to it in many ways, and a touch of prog. It's almost proggy the way that they structure it. It's never been my favorite song, and I feel like it would have been better served. Yeah, Abyss of the Void could have, should have should have been the last track maybe i i mean I, I just i feel like abyss of the void and even time to break free which we'll talk about as i guess we'll talk about it as the last track um that stuff was so strong that afterlife was a bit of a letdown when you know at the end of the album just in terms of you know my personal preference but it, yeah I, if you would have pushed those three songs you mentioned towards the back i think it would have solidified the back end because time to break free which i'll get into now is just a bit different than the rest of the songs here it doesn't sound like anything else on the album but it was the return of the mighty michael kisk right and here he is doing this catchy simple metal metal tune that was like worth the price of admission just to hear him doing vocals again and although the song doesn't fit the album it's fine. It, 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 it's it's so good to hear him sing, and he sounds almost happy in a way. It's like there's something just so lively about this track. I love it. And then there's this guitar noodling towards the end of the song, which reminds me of the goofiness of like a rise and fall. There's just something so charming about it that I love it, even though I would never say it's the best track that, that Kai ever penned. And then to go into Afterlife is kind of a letdown, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was so good to hear. Funny enough, like we probably heard Keeper of the Seven Keys for the first time like the year before we, we heard Land of the Free. But like sure. in retrospect, when you think about like that, I mean, it, really, it was two years after Chameleon. I mean, I think it was a time where people didn't really know what he was going to do. And so this was kind of a taste of like, you know, he's still around he's still got it it's it's a really good song it's it's one of my favorite of the the mid-tier songs on, on the album um i think gamma ray's last dvd blu-ray release um they kiss comes out and they actually play this song which i thought was so cool because like who the hell remembers this song honestly like it, it kind of got forgotten amongst those those big four that that we just talked about um but it's such a fun little tune, and I thought it was so fun watching that DVD. Uh, Kisk has the lyrics written on a sheet of paper because he probably hadn't sung the song since they recorded the studio, it in the studio yeah. you know. Um, and uh, and I think they also maybe did um, uh, like "I Want Out" or, or "A Future World" or, or, or maybe both. It was kind of this little preview of what was to come eventually in Unisonic, and then you know, ultimately now with the Halloween reunion, um, you know, I think that Kai and Waiki both understood what the fans wanted and it took a little bit of nudging for Kisk to kind of get back on board. And I think now that he is, I think that he knew it was the right call. And, and I, I bet, 
I'd be willing to bet he doesn't have any regrets for how he did anything, but also now like he's kind of back where he belongs. And, and I think that that's what people wanted. And, 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 um, and I think that's, that's great. Like you gave the fans, I remember even in those early years of becoming a fan of these bands, like that's all I ever really wanted was to be able to see all these guys on stage together again. And we got a little taste of that when Gamma Ray opened for Halloween. And at the end of the show, all the Gamma Ray guys came out and they played some of those old Halloween songs with Halloween and having like just seen Kai on stage with Wikey and, and Marcus and everything was so mind boggling, but who, who would have guessed like what we would see today. But um, yeah, like afterlife again, that's the third track that Jan Rubach wrote. And you know, it, it's like I said, it's kind of a, a it was a dedicated to Ingo who uh, took his own life sadly. Um, but it's just, um, so I can understand why that would be chosen as the last song, but I, I, it's just, um, to me, it, it's just an okay song. It, it's one of my least favorites on the album, to be totally honest. Um, and it, it just kind of, uh, it kind of ended the album in, in a bit of a, um, kind of a lackluster kind of way, if you're not going to talk about like bonus tracks and stuff, but these 13 tracks kind of make up the album proper. And, you know, we always, talk about order track orders and stuff. And, and I just really feel like this album really would have benefited from taking those three tracks, land of the free, the savior, abyss of the void, and just putting them at the end. Um, and I think that would afterlife would have made for a good segue between time to break free and land of the free, because they're both like pretty upbeat songs. So you want to have something a little less upbeat kind of, breaking that up. I think that would have worked. Otherwise, um, I think the album was really well paced other than that. Um, like I said, it kind of has like a dip in the middle and then, and then a kind of a little bit of a dip at the end too. I agree with all that. And then you had, you know, alluded to the fact that there are bonus tracks. The album was reissued a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken, you want to say a few words about those before we, uh, rate this thing and, and, and wrap up our discussion. Yeah, you know, oddly enough, um, I think we had mentioned um, more than once. I think we talked about um, we never did an episode on on Stradivarius's Visions album, um, but we we talked. I remember mentioning um, about Conceptions, Parallel Minds, and just Noise Records had a history of of giving you liner notes that did not match <laughs> what was on your disc. Absolutely and, uh, correct. This was one of those albums where in the liner notes, I had lyrics for heavy metal mania. Um, and I was wondering where the hell is this song? It's not on this <laughs> track. And I think noise records had a habit of um, like copying the liner notes from like their, um, like from other regions albums and then adding them into to because my disc only had the thirteen tracks. There were no bonus tracks, but yet I would have liner notes showing. And the same thing with um, Conception had back a uh, was it a black on black in the liner notes, but wasn't on the disc. Um, I also I had a copy of Visions where um, the liner notes said Kiss of Judas as track one and Black Diamond as track two. But when I put the disc in it. Black, Black, uh, Black Diamond was track one and Kiss of Juice was track two, which I believe was the Japanese 
track listing. And then sure enough, after Visions, the song ended, there were two more tracks on the album that weren't even listed. I, I think they might have accidentally like pressed the Japanese version and sold it domestically. And so like that's one of my prized discs that I still have is this like accidental bonus track edition. So this was the opposite. I got the this one where the chef the, here. Yeah, the 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 track the uh, the liner notes promised more than the album could deliver. Listen, <laughs> I, I don't think you're missing all that much. To be completely honest with you, heavy metal mania is a Holocaust cover. They're a Scottish metal band. It's okay. I, it doesn't really grab me. There's a um, it, you the, know it's funny. I feel like the, even though this is a cover, um, I felt like this kind of became kind of like their like heavy metal anthem when they would do live shows in the nineties um, until like power plant came out and then they came out with their own, um, what was it? Heavy metal, uh, heavy metal universe, which, which, yeah. which, which honestly is my least favorite song on power plant, but that's yeah, a well, for another day. Yeah. That was there. I always felt like that was gamma Ray's attempt at being man of war. Yeah, um, and, 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 and I just have no interest. Um, I, I always thought Heavy Metal Mania was kind of a, a better song, even though it was a cover. And, and I kind of, uh, I like that the lyrics, like, they just, it's just like that typical 90s metal where it's just like, you're telling people that this is metal and you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it. And it's like, <laughs> it's kind of like you're convincing all your friends who have no idea what the hell you've been listening to for the last few years, like, no asshole, heavy metal. Listen to it; you're gonna love it. And and uh, um, and then the other tracks were, I think, just um, remakes of songs that they did during the 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 uh, the Ralph Sheepers era, as time goes by, and and the silence, um, which um, I go back and listen to the um, the Silent Miracles EP, which came out the following year. I feel like themes on this that kind of felt almost like this was like a, a sequel to land of the free, um, you know, miracle is the seven minute track that is almost like the slow, the slowed up version of man on a mission. Um, it, it, Jesus, um, original version of Jesus Saves, where it's kind of a mid-tempo, like totally different vibe of a song. These th- there's four tracks on this EP, and they're all kind of mellow. It's a kind of like the the lighter side of Gamma Ray. That <laughs> um, the, the track two is just um, fair. They added farewell onto this to kind of keep with that motif of of kind of mellow songs. Um, the silence is one. Of, the last two songs are the silence and a while in Dreamland. Um, I love these songs. Um, these could have been the last two songs on, on Land of the Free. I don't know if they, uh, I don't know, I don't know if a while in Dreamland existed yet, but, um, the silence was just a, a re-recorded version of a, of a song from, um, uh, an earlier Gamma Ray album that they did with, um, uh, it's actually from Heading for Tomorrow, the original, uh, the original first album, um, it just kind of starts out like this epic way, and then it goes into like this kind of piano y, like, like much like these last two tracks have piano in them. You didn't hear any of that on Land of the Free. Um, 
Silence is a really nice song, very epic. A While in Dreamland is this is, in my opinion, the best Gamma Ray ballad of all time, and probably a lot of people don't really know it that well, but it's really just Kai and a piano and some whistling towards the end. Um, <laughs> I love this song. I think it's so beautiful. Gamma Ray was never... I think as good at writing ballads as Halloween was over the years, but um, this song is, I think an absolute beauty. And um, I just thought it deserved mentioning. I I'm glad you did um, because we probably were never going to get to it otherwise. So good recap. But if you just look at those first 13 tracks, the main crux of this album, how does it rate for you? And does it eclipse the somewhere out in space? 9.375. You know, it's it's a hard call. Um, I think that we taught when we talked about somewhere out in space, we had kind of some similar thoughts as there were some songs that kind of dragged it down a little bit, like because there are so many really classic, amazing songs on somewhere out in space. But then, you know, stuff like um, Lost in the Future kind of uh, dragged it down a little bit. Um, sure. I, I, I'm going to put this one, it's so hard because like you have Rebellion and Man on a Mission and Abyss of the Void and Land of the Free that are like maybe four of the best Gamma Ray songs ever, not to mention four of the best power metal songs ever. And they're kind of holding this album up. Um, I don't know though, like in retrospect, if I think that this album is as good overall as Somewhere Out in Space, which I'm kind of surprised to hear myself say out loud um so i'm gonna give it a nine um it's a nine for me um it's 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 definitely royalty but when i look i'm just looking at the track list or somewhere out in space and i'm like there's really only one song that i don't love on that entire album maybe maybe 9.375 was too low for somewhere out in space and but uh, you know i yeah i digress i i I am gonna rank it slightly underneath now the question is where does power plant land um with the you know in comparison to these two and i'm sure that's something we'll discuss you know probably next year if i had to put a a very vague guess as to when that would be but um yeah i feel pretty comfortable just giving it a, a a it's a, a very good score. It's just that some of those you know, Jan Rubach track track yeah. trucks, Jan Rubach trucks, uh, <laughs> they kind of drag it down a little bit. Um, but um, I mean, everything else kind of pulls it right back up to that nine. I think it's so. I, I'm going to give it a nine as well, which is a touch above somewhere out in space. I think somewhere out in space is the more complete album from top to bottom. Very few dead spots. Just a really solid, solid release. But even though there's a little bit less traction with maybe two, maybe three of these tracks, the top end is just so perfect, so iconic, and amongst some of the best songs of all time that it almost angsts like the opposite of an anchor, pulling it up, right? Like a magnet, just pulling this up a touch. But listen, the reality is this. I think I actually listened to Somewhere Out in Space more than I listened to this album at this point because from beginning to end, it's just a beautiful listen throughout. But neck and neck, depending on the day, I think you can go either way. And I look forward to eventually discussing Power Plant to round out the trilogy. So 
There you go. Land, land yeah. of the free. I mean, I, I just, just, I mean, God, I, I could, when it comes to this stuff, I just can't stop talking. But, um, to me, like, you know, you, 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 I remember you, you had mentioned that, like, all of the damned was kind of like that second tier of this album. Yeah. And to me, what, going back to, um, somewhere out in space, the second tier for me had songs like the guardians of mankind and, and no stranger. Um, and I think those were better songs. So I think the second tier on somewhere out in space was better sure. than on land of the free. Um, and so maybe that's kind of why I push it a little higher. I also think shine on was a much better last song. Um, and I think that matters. I think order matters. Like uh, this was uh, an album that could have been ordered better. Um, so yeah, I'm being nitpicky for, you know, picking things wrong with an album that's essentially a nine, but, um, you know, I just looking back on it and I don't think I, I think if blindly, if we never did this podcast, I probably would say land of the free was a better album. But when you look at things with a more, uh, I don't know what the word. Yeah. Yeah. Like really just dig into it and kind of look at things as more of a whole that then, you know, you know, what's the old saying, like, um, the, the parts of a whole or whatever, like, is it, is it bigger? Is it better than the, the sum of of its parts. parts? And I think that in this case, like for me, somewhere out in space is better. Um, just as a small preview to the eventual power plant episode, like they're, um, I will say short as hell is probably one of my least favorite gamma ray songs of those three albums. Um, and a heavy metal universe is also kind of on that list of songs. I don't love from that era. So, but looking at the rest of the, the rest of that, track list every song is a, is a banger so like um it, it'll be interesting to see how i feel and, and also speaking of ordering those two songs that i think are two of the weaker gamma ray songs are kind of stuck in the middle of the album where they belong mm-hmm. um so maybe they learned a little something about ordering stuff but um and just uh briefly just to kind of tie a bow on it um the band re-recorded Rebellion in Dreamland, Man on a Mission, and Land of the Free for the uh, Blast from the Past album. I never really found that they sounded terribly different, considering it was five years later in the band. Um, I mean, you know, you have a different drummer and a different guitar player, but it's still Kai. Um, so they sounded fairly similar to me, whereas those 11 or 10 um, tracks that were redone from the Ralph Sheepers era hearing them with the modern production with Kai singing. Um, uh, the rich and famous bonus track is a highlight for me. Um, I love last before the storm. I think the Kai version of last before the storm is one of the best gamma ray songs. Heaven can wait. As I mentioned before, lust for life. There's a lot of really good tunes. And, and if you just don't want to listen to the first three albums, like I didn't for years, you can just grab this and, and kind of give your, it's kind of like a greatest hits of the, the pre land of the free era. So that's my long winded, uh, bow on this, uh, this album that I clearly have a lot of thoughts about. <laughs> well, I, I love it. Um, just a couple of news items before I pick out my, 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 my album for next week, firewind, uh, another band we've kind of mentioned from, you know, here and there on, on the podcast, uh, they are going into the studio. They are planning on releasing their new album next year. 
I don't even think I knew this, but Herbie Langens is, I think, the vocalist for Firewind now. They've had uh, quite the run of singers with Apollo and now Herbie. Um, so that'll be interesting. They're a band that I feel like I like, but I, I would never say that I love the band, but I'm kind of curious to hear what the new album sounds like. Uh, and then in tour news, Jeff Tate is going back out on tour next year to do the 35th anniversary of Operation Mindcrime. Now, I've seen them do it with Queensryche. I've seen him do it solo, and I am an absolute sucker for the album. So if he comes back and does it stateside again, I will pony up my $50 and go see them again. Um, so that is that is something else to look forward to. And uh, I got one other piece of news, which I'll get to shortly because it's actually going to lead into my – well, you know what? I'll, I'll just bury the lead now. TNT is getting back together, and I nearly selected this band um, – as, as the band I wanted to choose next week, but I won't. Um, and that's Tony Harnell on vocals with a couple of the classic TNT guys. I don't know how familiar you are with this band, but basically it is like a Norwegian band that started in the, like the mid to late eighties released a bunch of albums. And I feel like they were the precursor to a lot of the Norwegian sound that we hear now for that melodic metal stuff. Um, really, really interesting band. I, I can't say that I'm a, that I know that much of the back catalog, but I, I have to say um, I, I was this close to picking them, but I'm going to choose something else. Uh, but we will, we, we will be doing a TNT album soon because I think Tony Harnell is one of the most underrated vocalists out there. Yeah. Um, I'm not really familiar with them other than them airing uh, Monday Nitro for several, <laughs> several years. <laughs> um, so um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick out a few, a couple of headlines and uh, I'm kind of um, going to have one that I know that you, you'll get into a bit. Um, so uh, here we go. Um, so uh, Paul Diano explains why he once compared Steve Harris to Hitler. Not, not, not touching that. I'm not really sure. I mean, it's, we've seen so many bad analogies as of late. I just can't, <laughs> my head around that one and i think paul diano has a number of issues from what i understand so we'll just leave that out there yeah um former children of Bodo members are officially launch launching a bar and band museum where can i go i'm assuming it's in finland but that sounds fantastic yeah um so here's uh i'm sure you're gonna have some thoughts on, on this as you are planning on attending the seventy thousand tons of metal crews but um they have added evergrey to the lineup um, amongst a handful of other bands, um, bringing the total up to 16 of 60 thus far. Um, some thoughts on Evergrey and uh, some of the other bands that have been added since last we spoke. I am, as someone that didn't think there was going to be a, a, a cruise this year, they are now announcing about a band every day, kind of fast and furiously, and it's really, really exciting to me. Um as the lineup takes shape, it's it's overwhelming. But I'm 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 excited to see Evergrey. It's always a good show. I don't know that I'm gonna go catch both of their sets, but we'll see what time they're they're playing. But they've announced a number of bands that have caught my interest over the last kind of week and a half. Evergrey is is obviously a band I enjoy. I've never seen Fallujah live. I feel like that'll be a really interesting show. Uh, Creator is always a fantastic live band. They announced the French power metal band uh, Nightmare. I'm not a huge fan, but I may pop in for their set. 
I thought of you when they announced Corpaclani. I am not a fan, but I know that you enjoy some of their stuff. I feel like that'll be a kick live. Uh, and Oceans of Slumber, which is uh, a nice addition. I didn't catch their last tour, but I'm going to make a point of seeing their set on the boat just because I like them. They've announced well, what better band than a band with oceans in its name to be playing on a on a cruise ship on on the ocean? I mean, you can't you can't make it up. But they the fact that they have 44 bands left to announce is just mind boggling to me. But it's going to be a fun couple of weeks, and I'm sure we'll get into more of them as they as as they announce them in the in the coming weeks. Yeah, um, you know, Corpaclani is like one of those bands where I don't know that I would ever go out of my way to go see them live. But if they were on like a cruise, a cruise ship like that, like I would absolutely go see them. Just like it, they're that kind of band for me. Um, so that is pretty cool that they were added. I think they've been they've played on the cruise a number of times thus far, and I'm sure that they're probably a, a probably a, a fan favorite. Um, I would think so. At this, point, I've always gotten sure. the impression that their live shows always just look like a lot of freaking fun. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think they take themselves too seriously and that sort of a thing. So if the timing works out, I'll drop in, I'll take some pictures, and I'll I'll send you a video or two. But sh- it should be fun. Yeah. Um, so what else do we have here? Um, oh, you know what? I did want to mention this because I, I believe it, it – did, did, I know we talked a bit about Judas Priest going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Did it – happened though last we talked uh, because they it it, so the the event took place but hbo hasn't aired the footage yet i believe it's coming out in a week or two um i don't think we talked about the actual um ceremony and the the performance but i came across a photo of rob halford singing jolene with (laughs) with um dolly parton and thought to myself, that, wh- what the hell is more metal than that? <laughs> I, um, I, it has happened. I did see the photo, and I'm dying to see the performance. Now, I think that many would argue, and I would be probably one of the first to argue, that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is not what I think it was originally envisioned. And maybe that's because in their mind they're running out of artists or big-name artists to put in. But Dolly Parton and Rob Halford – a picture is worth a thousand words and the video will probably be worth a million. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that is, um, I don't know that to me, like just that photo was like, this is so perfect. Like, um, I think that, a, I think that especially metal fans, there, there's a lot of derision aimed at the rock and roll hall of fame because I mean, Iron Maiden's not in it. I mean, so that's, that's enough right there. That's that's it. That's, that's But I think that it's headed in the right direction. I'm not going to belabor the point cuz I've I've mentioned this before. But um I also think that like it, it's still an honor to be to be um you know uh honored by your, your peers and and appreciated for what you've done and I still think that it means enough for these people to to show up and rock and roll I think is more of a state of mind than a genre of music. And and so I think that when a country star or, or a hip hop star gets inducted and people get all bent out of shape about it and say, well, it's not rock and roll. It's like, well, you know, a lot of people don't think that heavy metal is, is a, a form of rock and roll. So, you know, 
I think it's more of a state of mind. It's more of, uh, I think I, a, a, you know, they were a, a boon to the, the music industry, not so much rock and roll, you know, again, it, it's, it's a, it's a state of mind. It's not a, a genre of music. I mean, rock and roll is, is the broad, if you thought heavy metal was a broad brushstroke for a music genre, rock and roll encompasses to me, you know, it does encompass certain parts of hip hop and country and, and lots of different, um, you know, soul and, 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 and jazz, certain jazz and certain blues. And like, you know, it, it's, it really is not just, you know, the Beatles and, and, you know, Bruce Springsteen and, and that kind of stuff. It, it, it and, and as time goes by, you're going to see more, you know, alt rock bands from the nineties and the two thousands. And I think you're going to start seeing kind of like this, uh, it's going to like come back to these, the Iron Maidens of the world and, and those kind of bands that, you know, may, might not have gotten the attention right away. I am a little surprised that Priest would go in before Iron Maiden, um, but maybe that's just a sign that Maiden's just next on the list. So uh, that to me is little... the, the biggest omission by far because forget the other people they're admitting, the fact that Iron Maiden is still selling out arenas every time they play and not in is the single biggest indictment against the hall of fame. But I, I'm yeah. sure it's only and the monkeys not being in it. Well, that goes without saying, I, I figured that was like kind of the baseline and we go from there. But um, I, I want to, I want to talk briefly about the album I chose for next week. And, and, and I'm doing it a little bit of because of selfishness and a little bit because of timeliness. Um, I have tickets on Friday to go see Armored Saint and Wasp. And I have always wanted to talk about Wasp on the podcast because they're one of my guilty pleasures and a band that like I grew up loving when we were in high school. And I don't know why I gravitated towards their sound because they were so kind of off the beaten path and not the biggest band in the world, but I always liked their sound. So I want to go back and talk about their debut album from 1984 which is still a classic in the genre. So we're going to be talking about their self-titled debut album, uh, Wasp. And I think it's just timely because I want to go listen to them in advance of the concert that I'm seeing this week. So I, I hope you'll enjoy it, and I think you'll get a kick out of some of this stuff. Uh, I hope it's not too waspy. <laughs> I think I, that, that I definitely don't think you have to worry about. So uh, for those out there that are uh, listening, we appreciate it. We appreciate the love and support. Definitely join us on our social media. Uh, we love to engage with you guys, and we see some really interesting posts and, and whatnot. So keep it coming. Uh, follow us on uh, all the social media platforms, and we will come back next week with some Wasp. Yeah, that's cool. I, that's definitely uh, – I think I had mentioned that um, I literally am only familiar with their Elton John cover of Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, which is a really great cover. Um, no I no should, question about I it. I, and. and I, I agree with that, but I think it's time you listen to some of their uh, original material, as, as great as that cover is. Yeah. So, Actually, I, I thought you were going to say that we were going to be doing Armored Saint, but um, I have a feeling that we'll get to them at, at some point as well. Um, no doubt about that. This, just, uh, this, this will be uh, episode 100, 124, and we still have so much that we haven't even touched. So um, plenty more. Plenty more to come. Plenty more to look forward to. Um, well, but yeah, that's cool. Good choice. Uh, Look forward to uh, to discussing it, and uh, yeah, I guess I'll have to come up with something else uh, for the following week. I, I look forward to it. Enjoy the power plant. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the week, bud. I will talk to you soon. Welcome back. Thanks, pal. Good to be back. <laughs>